0: Why hello, you beautiful seven-figure millennial listener, and welcome back to another episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help uncover the winning strategies that will help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And today's pre-show listener shout-out goes to Clark, (laughs) who left a review with Fire emoji, fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji I think I got the amount of emojis correct but he said Brandon is an entrepreneurial genius down to the core awesome podcast awesome guest super inspiring and motivating well clock I really really appreciate that and if you are listening to this and if you haven't left a review please do and I might give you a shout out in a future episode I read every single one and it helps more people to discover the podcast but today's guest is Caitlin Kogan Domner who is the co- co-founder of SalesMap.me. After studying at Oxford University and getting her MBA from Biola University, Caitlin Dominer launched her sales management company in March 2013. In their first 33 months of business, they made their first million dollars, and within six years, they had generated over $10 million in new revenue for their clients. Their team has built and managed sales teams for some of the most prestigious names in the coaching industry, including Deepak Chopra. She has published multiple books, including The Unseen Sales Machine and Sell With heart. And in this episode, I want you to listen for three specific things. Numero uno, we dive deep into her incredible relationship with her husband and family. And in the very beginning, she tells this hilarious story about how she met her husband at a mime camp for Jesus. <laughs> so we'll clarify what that means. And not only does she have an incredible relationship with her husband, but she's doing some incredible things with her family. She's planning on taking two years to travels to seven different continents with her young family that will be ages five, seven, and nine when they embark on the journey. So we dive into that. And number two, I want you to, to listen for Caitlin's unshakable optimism. You're going to hear some crazy stories about how she went from being on top of the world, her business absolutely crushing it. She was sipping Mai Tais, having the time of her life when her entire business went and crumbled. And you'll see that she has this incredible optimism about her, about viewing things from the right perspective and turning things around. And number three, you're going to learn how to create and sell products that people actually want and how to sell with heart and what that means. This was an incredible conversation. Caitlin and I had a ton of fun recording it. And just as a warning, we do dive into some topics that may be considered taboo to discuss. And I fully understand that it might piss some of you off. (laughs) And if it does, I apologize. I know that I love you and that part of my job as a podcast host is to provide my listeners with varying experiences and worldviews so that you can challenge yourself and grow further. So without any further ado, please enjoy this wide ranging and engaging conversation with my friend, Caitlin Kogan Domner. You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. All right, Caitlin, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. I'm super excited to be here, Brandon. Awesome. So I want to start with a really fun spot, as always. And in my research, I came across the incredible story about how you met your husband. Mm -hmm. And it starts off with being a homeschooled mime, M-I-M-E, for Jesus. So can you please tell us what it means to be a homeschooled mime for Jesus and what that had to do with you meeting your husband?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in San Diego. I was 14 years old when I joined this mime ministry and yes, white face, hands, empty box, a whole shebang. And we would go and we would evangelize doing mime choreography to Christian songs. And then um, it was part of a national ministry. So during summer, we had a summer camp. And we went up to Ventura and the Apple Valley team and the San Diego team and the Ventura team and all different teams came together to learn songs. And we're sitting in a big room and I looked across the room and one guy stood out because he was taller than all the rest of them. And I was like, "Huh, he's pretty attractive. I'm going to have to go meet him. (laughs) And so even though we were mimes and we weren't supposed to talk and even though it was conservative Christian circles, so we weren't supposed to talk to boys or people of the other gender. Anyway, we spent the whole weekend talking to one another and really hit it off and went on to AOL and I was Sterly 6416 and he was Warhead 4728. And we talked about <laughs> a- Ayn Rand and predestination and like became best friends. And then he started dating somebody else, which I was like, okay, at this point, I really shouldn't tell him that I have a crush on him. And then they ended up getting pregnant. And I was like, well, yep, yeah, nope, that's definitely not going to happen. And so I was actually a photographer at his first wedding. Um, Yikes. one of the worst days of my life. <laughs> and then, um, many years later after his divorce, um, and my, I had a broken engagement. I reached out cause I was like, I, I had a sub, I had a dream that he blamed me for his divorce. And I was like, well, clearly mm. I need some closure. So we reached out and, uh, I talked to him about, I was like, well, what's the story you tell yourself about what happened to us back in high school? Cause in my head, I wasn't good enough. And he had chosen the prettier, more popular girl. And as a result, I had dated guys who were just not in my league, but I thought they were. And he told me, you were the only girl I ever met who I thought was too good for me. And in that moment, I realized how powerful paradigm shifts can be and how the same set of facts can have two completely different interpretations. And those interpretations become our reality. And we see the rest of our world through that lens. Um, and so I, I do whole talks around that by choose the best history <laughs> for you, right? In the, in the absence of definitive truth, always tell the story that protects your confidence, protects your self-esteem, protects your self-worth. Because nine times out of 10, that is the true story, and that's what's going to help you become the person that you need to be to persevere.
0: Wow. That is an incredible story. I'm really glad that we started there. There's so much to dive into. <laughs> For anybody listening, my AIM was Asian Ninja 221. Uh nice. so, so I could I could have joined whatever the <laughs> the the cool things back when AIM was a thing. Mm-hmm. I love, I love, I love the fact that rewriting your story. So are there, are there other elements that you, you noticed from growing up that kind of, once you had that realization, you had to go back and readjust those narratives or is it mostly just those? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And it's actually one of the things when I am working with, with coaching clients, I, I, we do a lot of what is the story behind what actually happened? Because I believe that God has given us this internal guidance system tells us when we're in alignment with truth or not and it's Mm. our emotional response to a situation and to a set of propositions so yeah let's say you uh like maybe and this one might be more personal for people but let's say you were an abusive family relationship and maybe your dad was abusive and so the story you could tell is because you were worthless or you were no good. And we can tell that story or we could tell the story that your father was broken and probably abused himself as a child and he was doing the best he could and he wanted to love you. And that was how he could express himself as fully as he could. Right. And so you feel into the emotional guidance system, which story feel puts you in a state of gratitude and love Mm. and joy and peace. And that is your little truth. ometer. meter that tells you that you're closer to the truth of the story. Um, And when you can bring, you can, you can rewrite your entire past by using this truthometer to gauge where you are in relationship to truth. And and it's a beautiful way to reclaim power, to rewrite your story, to turn you from a victim into a victor and to completely change your future as a result.
0: Yeah. This is so powerful for everyone listening. Cause like uh, over the past few months, I've went through some gone through some of those transformative experiences where I had to dive deeper into things that hurt me in the past, where Mm -hmm. like I, the story I tell that I used to never tell was like when I grew up on the free lunch program at school. And I just hated the fact that like my family didn't have money. I was embarrassed and ashamed about it. I would never talk to anyone about it. I even had another thing. I recently came up. I never even told my wife about this. I had some sexual Mm -hmm. trauma growing up and it's just like, those things were so suppressed for me. But when I actually took the time to look at them, I realized that if I told the right story, if I changed the perspective, it just not only freed me up to grow and entirely new levels, but it really just helps other people because we all have those things, right? We all have those things that are impacting us. And when you're the one that's vulnerable and that can share, it's just super powerful. Another thing that would be interesting to dive into too, is I found that the cl- more clarity I get on my past experiences, the more it translates into like how you create your business. So for like, for me, when I kind of looked at like my unique ability and how I could begin to monetize. So is that something else that you do yourself or have helped other people to do is not only to get clear on what those stories really mean, but also how it translates into your business.
1: I really love that because I do think that your story and who you become is the foundation of what you build and who you attract. Yeah. so if you can if you're defining it so I, a lot of people come to us and we help them position their offers and very frequently it's it's a too broad on one sense like I help women right you're like okay <laughs> great you're down to 50 percent of the population right um, and it, like it's what kind of women is it women who have experienced trauma or have gone through a divorce or women who are are minorities and want to start businesses like and usually, on that first level, it's it's going to be the people who are like you. So if you define yourself as a woman who has experienced trauma, then you're going to start ex- pulling. Now, obviously you probably wouldn't affiliate with that, Brandon, but, <laughs> so, but that, that, and then when you can start thinking of this in different ways and unpack, then it's like, well, it's people who have experienced trauma. Well, it's not even just trauma. It's people who need to redefine their relationships So it's about as you pull back the different layers of what your story really means and your identity shifts as a result, you're going to find that the people that you attract, uh, you're just going to be vibrating in a different frequency when, when you're when you're redefining yourself.
0: And I would encourage people listening to the things that you think aren't actually powerful stories are actually really powerful stories. And the more that you examine them, I don't know if you found those to be true, Caitlin, but like, for me, one memory I have is like, I always liked having conversations with lunch ladies at, at the lunch ladies at school because they had more interesting com- conversations than the kids were having. And so it's like, I always found myself having conversations with people that were older than me. I got into the first networking groups when I was 16. And then I got into genius network at 22 and try for leaders and all these things. And I realized that when I was in alignment with, who I always was, like when I was a, you know, third grader talking with the lunch ladies, that it just helped me gain so much more clarity on where my business should be heading because it was just naturally what I instinctively did.
1: Yeah, it is really interesting. Usually, you can find those like seeds of genius when my clients calls them uh, embedded in your earliest memories. Like, what are the things that stand mm. out to you? And usually those defining moments, I I joke, like when other kids were playing, girls were playing Barbies, I was playing Empress and like building my (laughs) empires. Like that was what I did. I'm like, now it's just on a grander scale. Now I build companies, right? Right. But yeah, it totally makes sense when you can look back at those moments before externally you've been formed, right? So it's best if it's like seven or younger, those earliest memories, that's when the, the truest you is sometimes most apparent.
0: Yeah. So this is actually a perfect dovetail into something I wanted to make sure we talked about today. And that is the concept of irresistible offers or creating a really mm-hmm. solid offer. Cause I know that's what you do so well with your work with sales teams and you're, you have, I don't know if I've told you this personally, but I think that you have one of your unique abilities is refinements. Like you, like whenever I hear you speak, you are just able to refine and, and just squeeze out the juice of like what, how to articulate something in a way that puts a picture in someone's head and, and that kind of stuff. So when it comes to creating irresistible offers from all the people that you've worked with or for your company, first of all, could you tell our listeners what it really means to create an irresistible offer and offer, and then maybe some of the, the tips that you have for people to create a powerful offer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of people will come to me and they're like, I'm having trouble selling. And, and I look at their thing and I'm like, you've got right instincts, right? You're good with people, you're asking good questions, but you just you don't know what you're selling, right? It's just, it's too broad or it's not clear, or it's too complicated. So to create an irresistible offer, there has to, you start typically, most people start, this is where I started. You start with what you know, who you are, your experience and your passions. And let's say that's, the bubble on a venn diagram <laughs> mm. but what a lot of people do is they go and they spend a lot of time building this thing they're like well i love it and if i build it they will come and this is not right. actually the case my very first business i spent like three months developing this amazing curriculum to help you start your business from scratch and then i went out and took it to the market and it was like crickets like two <laughs> people bought it i'm like ah okay so so now what we do is we go to the market first. And we just start asking them what they want and need. And we identify what the gap is. And then we say, how much would you pay to solve this problem? Because what, as an entrepreneur, you are a problem hunter, right? That is your job. Your job description is to go find problems and create profitable solutions for them. So what you're looking for is, is problems that are pervasive, that a lot of people have them problems that are urgent, they really need to get this solved now, and problems that are expensive, right? So you're looking to find these problems uh, that are pervasive, urgent, and expensive, and then you create something to solve that problem. And usually, like, there's going to be some overlap between. So the second is what the market wants. So when I started building sales teams, I was very clear, the market wants no money up front, (laughs) a commission-based salesperson who will generate their own leads and close all the deals, right? That's what they, the market wants. It turns out that's not actually feasible for me to build my own right. profitable business model around. So it's kind of finding that overlap, but we have to start with the market research. So with my clients, what we do is we start by giving them my sales survey um, and happy to give that to anybody who wants to email me for it, but it's a series awesome. of questions where you just ask prospective people, what do you want, right? So it starts very broad, like what are your, some of your goals in this area? Let's say you're a health coach. What are some of your health goals? And then what have you tried? What worked? What didn't work? Uh, then we go into, well, what do you think has been keeping you from reaching your goals? What challenges have you been uh, reaching? And and then we get into pain, like what's it costing you to not solve this problem, right? And this is where the the woman who's a size eight and she wants to become a size six so she can fit into a prettier dress is very different from the woman who needs to lose 50 pounds so that she can get her knee surgery. Right. Right. Um, Cause she's in excruciating pain. So it's just recognizing like you might be able to come up with an irresistible offer. That's $97 to drop a dress size, but you're going to come up with an irresistible offer. That's maybe in the $5,000 range to help somebody restructure their life so that they can change their habits so that they can, qualify for a knee replacement and get out of excruciating pain, right? Yep. So it's just trying to figure out what is the market need and, and really hone in and asking questions is it's, it's the silly, it's the easiest thing in the world that so many people miss. But if I could just say like, that's, that's the number one thing is just go interview 10 people. So every time I have a, a, a new idea, which I have a lot of them because I'm a nine quick start on Colby. <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> <I> mean, generating <laughs> ideas on a daily basis. Like if I'm serious about it and I do my own internal test of like, "Mm, how, how passionate am I about this? First thing is go take it to the market and talk to 10 people and get their feedback. And the beautiful thing is not only will they tell you what they want, then you can go ahead and sell it to them. So you have an immediate infusion of cash. Then you go build it because they've just told you what they wanted. So you don't have to waste time trying to guess and spend a lot of energy building something that nobody wants. And then what's even better is that if you're a good listener and you're taking at copious notes, they will write your copy for you. So your website, your sales brochure, all of your marketing will have the copy written because all you're doing is transcribing their words for them.
0: Love this. I like couldn't set it. I I say this all the time. It's so great the way you said it. And I think the other thing to highlight here that's so important is that asking questions, being a part of this survey method that Caitlin's talking about is it allows you to use the language that's already in your customer's mind. It's one of the fundamental Mm -hmm. copywriting principles is enter the conversation that's already happening in your customer's mind. And when you know them better than they know themselves, they're like, Mm -hmm. this person gets me. And so how do you then take that research and then turn it, is there like, so you have, I I imagine I finished the survey, I Mm -hmm. I got some feedback from some initial people. How do you go from that stage to then turning it into an offer? And then how do you determine if it's something that you want to scale or continue with or not?
1: Great question. So usually I'll ask at the end. So we started this conversation because I just wanted to hear from you and get your feedback. But as I'm listening to you, I really feel like I can serve you. And that has to be with absolute integrity, right? If you're talking to someone, you're like, yep, yeah, nope, I'm not going to be able to be the right fit for you. Go refer them to somebody who is the right fit for them because they're going to be really open and vulnerable and raw and give you some pretty serious problems and pain if you're doing this correctly. Yeah. You have a moral responsibility to close the wound that you just opened, right? So find them a solution, even if you're not the right fit for that. But typically you'll say, would it be all right if I sent you a proposal and then we schedule the call in a day or two and I can answer any questions about what it might look like for us to work together now? And most people at that point are very open because you just had a conversation, a sales conversation. It just... You can do it with a complete stranger on the bus, right? It really is yep.
0: um,
1: that, that sort of a conversation because all you're doing is listening, which in my opinion, sales is love and service, and it starts with listening. So once you send them that proposal and you get on a conversation with them, then you just answer questions. And so you ask questions and you listen, and then you make a quick proposal, less than five minutes usually, and then you answer questions. Like This is, this is an entire sales conversation in a nutshell, guys. Yep. Um, and so from that standpoint, typically, well, the beautiful thing about this survey is that you can sell almost anything at any price point. So if somebody comes back and says, well, it's worth $50 for me to solve this, you can find a way to solve that problem for them at a $50 price range. If they come back and say it's worth $50,000, fantastic. You can create a package that solves that pain point at a $50,000 price point. So in answer to your question, how do you know if you want to scale it? This is where we look at capacity and the pervasiveness of the problem, how many people want this, right? Because I could probably craft a $100,000 offer that's perfect for one person, and it may not be good for many other people. In general, I'm trying to listen for patterns. What's consistent across the 10 interviews that I had? What were some key themes that kept coming up uh, that everybody said I would be willing to pay for this? Then I'll try and pull that into a package. And usually the first time I offer something... I will just say this on the record, the first time I offer anything, you should always say yes to it because it is always my best deal ever because yep. I, and I assume most entrepreneurs are like this, we overgive the first time. So yes. we're, we're unsure how valuable it's going to be. So we're going to lower it, like keep a really low price and we're going to give you everything we've got just so we can get some case studies, some testimonials, some social proof. Then once we've got the case studies and the testimonials and the social proof, then we're like, aha, I can reduce the features and increase the price. And, and now we <laughs> sell it again. So mm-hmm. I, I, my rule of thumb is sell it thrice and raise the price. So sell mm. it three times so you can triangulate what were the commonalities between what people wanted and the results that you achieved for them. So if you sell one coaching person and you sell two coaching people, we've got a line, but three, you're, you've got it dial in. So with three people, you'll know what you're really selling, what they really want, and what you're willing to give. So after the three people, then I will usually raise the price. And one of my clients, he went from like a $5,000 program to a $20,000 program in the course of six months by just selling it thrice, raising the price, selling it thrice and raising the price. So it really is. And then you'll usually find a plateau where you're like, ah, okay. I found where the value that I'm giving and the value that's being perceived that levels out and that's that's usually where your price point now keep in mind that equation can always shift in terms of how well you're articulating the value the positioning and your own internal guidance system so most of us have certain money calibrations of what we're willing to give or willing to receive so then it's just a matter of like at that twenty thousand dollar level if he can only do 10 clients at that level then what i would say is okay don't change the price tag But figure out how you can start replacing yourself within the offer. So Mm -hmm. now maybe it's not you doing all of the coaching. Maybe you do a once a month coaching session and you have another coach who does weekly sessions, right? So how can you shift the offer so that you can do 10 times as many of them without having to change the price point?
0: So much to unpack there, man. <laughs> so much value. A um, few things I just want to highlight that just kind of come to the top of my mind is is how simple Caitlin is making this. Like so many people think that sales, you need the full funnel built out. You need the sexy website. You need everything. The best results that I've had it usually come as a result of me creating a Google Doc that involves some basic level research with some sales copy. And like, that's it. Like you can use that to sell really high ticket things. If you're having the right conversations. If you Uh, have a
1: conversation with me right now, we are selling our $50,000 package on a Google document. Like that's it. So yeah, it's, it really is. And I sold my first $300,000 package without a website. Like that was actually one of our questions. We were in the sales conversation. He's like, why don't you have a website? I'm like, is that important? <laughs> Let me go <laughs> fix that. But but she ended up hiring us and that client was worth $300,000 that year. So it really is, uh, you don't get trapped in the trappings like yep. business cards, websites, photos, like just focus on selling something. Yep. <laughs> there was a different word that was about to come out, but I don't know if we're G-rated here. Um, no, no, no. You can swear just go if you sell want. something, <laughs> <laughs> and then once you've sold it, then you know that the market wants it. Then bother putting marketing behind it, right? Then bother yep. creating a business plan around it. But you've got to sell it first, uh, yes. and then go solve, like build it later.
0: Yes. The other thing I want to highlight that I think is so important is that people do not buy products. They do not buy services. They buy results. And so, Mm -hmm. like, that's one thing that I think Caitlin was very clear on as well is like, when she was coming up with the product that you're serving or like the pain point that you're addressing, it's like, what is the result that they get at the end of this? And I think that people that are getting started, the clearer you can get on what that result is the more you can sell it. Cause like they need, the person needs to understand what it is that they're buying. And if you can't clearly articulate what the hell they're going to buy, they're not going to buy it. So like, there's a huge, there's, I'm sure you could speak about this a lot is like making sure that it's crystal clear what people get when they give you money.
1: (laughs) And and very frequently new entrepreneurs get stuck in their ego, in the sales conversation, because they think they're selling themselves. They're selling their time, they're selling their expertise. And I'm like, Get your ego out of the equation. You're just selling an end result and it has nothing to do with you, right? If you're selling your time, you're in a commodity, right? Because I can always find somebody who can do a better job at a lower price than you can, right? So you've got to restructure your value proposition so that you are selling a result, obviously. And we're always trying to identify how do we put you in a blue ocean? How do we make the competition completely irrelevant? So we have a whole positioning workshop that we do with our book of experts, new members, and it's just two hours. We're just trying to figure out how do we put you in a category of one so that you're not a commodity. You're actually the provider of this very unique uh, niche uh, services in your industry.
0: Yeah, Blue Ocean, Blue Ocean, Blue Ocean, Blue Ocean. Uh, I haven't read the book, but I just love the title because I, I I inherently understand uh, what it means. Um, mm-hmm. So I know I know you've worked with some really incredible people, including like Deepak Chopra, and that mm-hmm. you've gotten some incredible results for people like that. So how do you? How did you? Like, can you just tell us a story about how you ended up landing that that relationship with Deepak Chopra, or maybe people like that?
1: Yeah, the interesting thing about Deepak was that I had built my business really huge and like February of 2017, I took my family on a two-week vacation to Kauai and I had multiple teams all managed by multiple team leaders. It was the biggest revenue month for our company we had had and I was sitting on the beach slipping sipping my ties and I was like, aha <laughs> like right this is what we all are trying to achieve and then I realized I didn't want to leave. The, the island. I was like, I kind of want to just live with my family in the jungle and go <laughs> Swiss family Robinson for a couple of years rather than go back to this behemoth thing that I've created. Yeah. Um, we we spent a lot of mind power on whether or not we were going to return from Kauai. We looked at what it would take to rent an RV van and like what it would take to build <laughs> a thing in the jungle. Like we spend a lot of mind time, and if you know anything about law of attraction, You have to be very careful with where you place your attention because then when we got back in less than two weeks, we had had one client fire us, one client cancel a contract, and one client steal our team out from under us, didn't pay us the $100,000 in commissions we had earned, and basically the entire company just imploded in less than a month. And so in March of that next month, I remember like sitting and doing dishes at my sink and just bawling like, what the fuck? Like, what? <laughs> what was the point? Like, why did I work that hard to build something? And like, I knew it. I had done enough mindset work. I knew that I had put that out there and it just made me realize, OK, time to go back to basics why do you want to do this? Yes, for the paycheck, but more than that, like, what is the point? I was like, okay, the point is to serve people who are doing good in the world, right? God love us. There are a lot of sociopathic (laughs) narcissists in our coaching industry. And I was very (laughs) clear all of a sudden. I'm like, and, and there might be some legitimate reasons for that, right? I'm not, it's no judgment. It's just an observation that I've made. And I was like, I want to serve people who are really, truly committed to changing the world and coming from a place of integrity. And less than 30 days later, we got the introduction to Deepak. And I was like, ah, it's about clearing out the things that are not serving you and the things that you think in our success and really getting down to what are your foundational values and making sure that you're aligned with those. Because if you're mm-hmm. burnt out or you're killing yourself for a buck and you're selling your soul, like what does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses his soul, um, Like this is when we have to come back to the beating heart of our mission, our our spiritual mission, I think, as well as our own life vision and say, am I in alignment? And when you are, things happen magically and easily. And when you're not, everything falls down around your ears.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And so, so let's, let's walk back to that moment when you thought things were just completely, you're sitting over the kitchen sink, things are just like absolutely destroyed. So like, tell me a little bit more about like what was going on with your, your family and your husband at that point? Like, did you have, what were those conversations like that were going on when you were going through that?
1: Yeah. My husband had actually come back, uh, had joined me full time in the work. Um, let me see three years previously. So 2014, when our second child was born, um, we used his baby bonding time uh, to test drive him leaving his corporate job and and being a full-time entrepreneur. So we've been in it together for a couple of years. And I think what you learn as an entrepreneur is flex in your knees, right? You just learn to like Mm. bounce a little bit because there's something freeing and exhilaratingly terrifying about being in control of your own income at all times. And so we had, we had gone through enough mindset work and support group that we like, we knew what was happening, right? So having those tools in place, recognizing that we had called this in, that it wasn't something that was happening to us, it was happening for us, mm. right? Recognizing that there's always a breakdown before the breakthrough that setbacks, uh, result in, um, there's a, somebody just gave me a new one that I obviously not remembered, <laughs> But like all of these little trite things that sound you know. really good when they're when you're reading them as quotes, like they come into play and you're like, oh, no, this is absolutely critical at this stage in my life. I need to remember these pithy truths um, because that's what gets you through those hard times. And then it's just a matter of very logistically, we're like, OK, well. We need money. I'm like, what do I do better than anything else? I close deals. So I reached out to a former client and I was like, I know I built your sales team, but any chance you need a closer? So I went on (laughs) her team and I closed for her for two and a half years. And that ended up being getting our family to a really comfortable place financially. It also allowed me to hone my closing skills. I had been a sales manager, but hadn't really owned my own sales ability. So I personally closed two and a half million dollars in one year for her. Right. And that That was kind of nice knowing that I was capable of that. So (laughs) I also like your set point of what you're able to bring in before that all happened. I had never paid myself more than $5,000 in a month. After that, I had to pay for an attorney for $5,000 every month. So all of a sudden I had to make 10 to $15,000 a month just to pay for my attorney and, and my own lifestyle. So by the end of that, 18 months later when I had a settlement (laughs) and she declared bankruptcy and so it was all completely moot. Um, All of that, I ended up realizing I never want to go back down. So now 15 to 20,000 is my family's new set point. Like that's just what we feel comfortable paying ourselves out of the business. And now I don't go below that, right? So it's just sometimes you need very strange experiences to stretch you and to get you accustomed to something completely different. But once you've stretched, you don't you don't go back, right? Like yeah. this is just how your new reality looks.
0: So I I wanted to ask you this because if you guys, if you're listening to this right now and you guys haven't heard, like Caitlin has this incredible optimism, like just about all the things that happened. Caitlin, is it okay if I share the Facebook status that you shared the other day about your crazy day? (laughs) So I'm just going to read this. This is Caitlin's Facebook status (laughs) the other day. Today was a challenge. I woke up with my neck out of alignment, but I won't won't be able to see the chiropractor because I have COVID, which happened to induce my first migraine. Who know pain causes nausea. My laptop stopped recognizing its charging cord, but that's okay because a construction worker severed the cord to our internet connection. No, I don't know why he was working on a sunday and my period started all i can say is that there must be one hell of a breakthrough on its way to warrant this level of breakdown i would like to thank my amazing husband michael domner instacart DoorDash, and at tyler lpm for making today survivable and you know it's great news tomorrow is almost guaranteed to be better i laughed my ass off when i read that it, it, it's just hilarious and it just reminds me there's this story caitlin i'm sure you probably heard it but it's like two kids are put in a room with a pile of shit, like there's shit like all the way up to the ceiling. And one kid is pissed off. He's like, why am I in this? Why am I in this pile of shit? And the other kid's like, there's gotta be a pony in here somewhere. Uh, so there's like, there's, there's always a way to look at things from a better perspective, even when you have a crazy day like that, like, and the way you wrote that was just hilarious. So have you always had this sense of optimism or like, how could we begin to like have that perspective that you've been able to, to cultivate over the years?
1: That is really funny because it's, it, it's uh yes and no. Right. So I've always had sort of a snarky view of reality and just like, okay, <laughs> like what's going on here. But Uh, I actually struggled with suicidal depression growing up. Mm -hmm. Like um, I almost didn't make it to my 16th birthday. Um, But I mean, it's been off and on, but I think it it was shifting. Like there's, there's always a gift, right? So learning empathy for other people was a huge gift through, through that experience for me. Um, But what really shifted it is I really, Uh, and it's attributed to Albert Einstein, forgive me if it's not actually from him, but he says, you have to decide if you live in a friendly or a hostile universe. Um, And that decision really shifted everything for me, right? I've always believed in God. I've grown up a Christian, Um, but my theology has expanded in, in a lot of different ways and really uh, I genuinely believe that everything is always working out for my highest good and the highest good of all involved, mm-hmm. and that it's a really radical belief. It sounds like a trite kind of <laughs> a cat poster, right? Um, but honestly, when you can get to that level of like gut belief that you're like everything is always working out for me, I can't always see it, and this yeah. is what I tell my kids: like if you can't see how this is serving you. Take heart because you are not at the end of the story, right? Yep. Um, No good story, like if you've ever read a story and nothing bad happened to the like the hero, like that story actually sucks, right? We do
0: not
1: like those (laughs) stories after age five, right? right? So we need to have like the the whole hero's journey that Joseph Campbell talks about. It goes into death, it goes into depression, it goes into really deep darkness. And it's the coming out that makes the story fascinating, interesting, and relevant. So I actually believe that we choose our lives. I know this is a little odd, but I think we choose our lives like little cosmic babies. We look down and we say, that's the life I want. And we pick out the abusive parent and the narcissistic husband. And I had a miscarriage, right? Like When you actually believe that you chose all of this from a cosmic perspective, perspective and you knew that this was going to be the most interesting story because because we have immortal souls and there's a whole other like i have a very there's a whole worldview behind this but right but if you can just use it as like a thought experiment and say like huh what if what if i actually chose this to happen to me through me and for me right at all times and even the worst experiences your brain is a solution finding machine If you assume that it's working for you, your brain will figure out how to interpret the circumstances so that you understand why this is happening to you, as opposed to why is this happening to me, right? Like your brain will tell you like, it's because, and it'll give you all of these crappy reasons of why you suck and why you deserve to have all of this crappy stuff happen to you. So, so really, I guess if it comes down to anything, it's just, if you can believe whether you have evidence or not, right? A priori, like just make a decision that everything is always working out for your highest good and the highest good of all involved. It just takes so much pressure off your shoulders and it just allows you to interpret everything, positive, negative, like good, bad. You give everybody the benefit of the doubt, including the cosmos. um, And it really ends up usually playing out that way if you just give it long enough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Three things. Uh, One, I think it's beautiful that that you've chosen... This, this lifestyle. Cause I, I, I truly believe that entrepreneurship is a vehicle that allows us to have quicker learning cycles because it puts us through so much shit that like you have no choice but to evolve, but a standard human being that does not, did not choose the entrepreneurial lifestyle gets to have a learning cycle every, I don't know, whenever a job transition happens, which could be 30 yeah. or 40 years, but then entrepreneurship is just like all this stuff can happen all the time. So that's one thing. Second thing, have you read the, uh, the surrender experiment before? By Michael You are Singer. the
1: third person who has told me to read it. So I'm gonna yeah, there to. you
0: go. Now you have to, now you have to. And I would recommend the audiobook uh as well. Uh, but but it's just crazy because it's like like I won't even go into it, but like that's what reminded me of what you're talking about, is because like he just completely surrendered and he's like, mm-hmm. This is really uncomfortable for me right now. I really don't like it, but there's probably something here, and I should probably lean into it and look into mm-hmm. it and like the pinnacle of the story, I guess here's like kind of a spoiler alert, but I think it's what makes it so interesting is like he went from this yogi that wanted nothing to do with anyone to just just meditating, to building a public company that was traded. And like he got raided by the FBI and like they're showing up at his door and he's just like, I'm just going to turn in like, this is teaching me something. This is like absolutely incredible. And he's expressing love and appreciation for the people that are trying to prosecute him and just accepting. And it's just really, it just kind of reminds me of what you're talking about. It's just like this shit's happening for a reason, you know, like this is really teaching you something and you need to look, Uh, Look for it. So that was thing number two. Thing number three. um, I I I fully accept that this might piss some people off and uh, we might lose some listeners for this. But you you seemed like you said I have a crazy worldview that I won't go into. So like we can go into that if you if you wouldn't mind expanding upon that even more because we can just I'm all for uh, getting exposed to different viewpoints that may be considered you know, unique.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. So I think it it comes down to radical personal responsibility. And the reason it it might piss some people off is because I just had this conversation with my own mom who has had some trauma and I did not sell this to her very well. Um, And her (laughs) response was, you're just naive, right? So I totally understand that there are people who have had really awful experiences to them. And I totally want to express a hundred percent, like my heartfelt sympathy and compassion and love and just wrap my arms around you. And if you can get to the place where you trust that even the worst thing that happened to you was a gift. Yes. And it wasn't even just a gift, it was a gift that you gave to yourself and said, this is the most valuable thing I can do for my soul's development, right? Yes. And and whether you only live once or whether you reincarnate, it's entirely up to you what you believe on that front. But either way, like what's gonna get me farthest from cosmic little baby soul to the end of my life soul, right? The soul's journey when you're a soul is really all that's important to you. (laughs) And so the soul's journey is like, okay, well, what brings me more in alignment with whether it's source or God or truth or infinite intelligence, like that thing that makes us us, right? Um, And so as you draw nearer to that, right? This is where everything everything beautiful, everything good, everything loving, everything that that's where everything is. And I've come to the belief that there's that and there's nothing right. There's Mm -hmm. it. Like we think that there's like this good and bad and evil is like a thing and it can be fought against. But in my opinion, it's just, it's an absence. It's an absence of goodness. It's an absence of truth. It's not a something right. There's no like evil force that's trying to ruin your life. It's just, okay, well, are you in alignment with flow and with the, thing, the, the love that moves the stars and all the worlds, or are you not in alignment with that thing? And so, as I look at world events, right, I, again, I have a very different interpretation of things like COVID and death and um, all these different things. And I have, a, I, instead of like good and bad, I've chosen a frame of reference of like preference and contrast. There are things mm. that I prefer in the world, and there are things that I don't prefer in the world. Um, and I will actively work to make the things that I don't prefer, <laughs> like yeah. racial bigotry and and suffering and um, like poverty. Those sorts of things, I will actively work to lessen them. But not because I hate it or I'm fighting against it. Right. That that's the hard thing is like the whole like Black Lives Matter thing that came up. I'm like, guys, you are pouring so much hate and anger, and energy, and I understand that there needs to be a catharsis, and it needs to be released, and you need to talk about this, right? But you're just kind of feeding that cycle, as opposed to coming like, I don't prefer this. I love every person, and I understand that they're coming from this absence of love, and truth, and enlightenment, and so if you can come from a place of change, and I think Jesus exemplifies this better than anybody, right? Mm -hmm. It's how do I show up from a place of absolute certainty that this is not what I prefer. And I'm going to continue to stand in my truth of uh, that love and gratitude and joy and faith is the whole point. And then watch as things shift around me, as opposed to fighting fire with fire and letting me set myself be drawn into anger and frustration and fear and all of those lower frequencies and try to change it's going to be very difficult in my opinion to create a world that you love that has peace and has joy if you're attacking it from a place of those, those emotions. So yeah, yeah, sorry. (laughs) I'll take the brunt of that. If you guys don't like me, you could send the hate mail my way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I really appreciate that. I think that's, that's Mm -hmm. incredible. And it's funny because it's like, I think this is, this is core tenets of stoic philosophy, but it's like, you can't change the world. I'm sorry. Like that. Like there's not. I mean, there's not much you can do with the outside world, but there is what you can do with the internal world and understanding how you interpret things and and behaving with things. And there's so much truth to what you said. And you know, I I've, this is just probably the. Not the, I'd say the under the third or fourth time I've said this on the podcast, but like I had some of those experiences too, where it's like I went through some sexual trauma as a kid and I didn't even tell my wife that until a few months ago, just because it was mm-hmm. like so, so hard for me. But I I had a conversation mm-hmm. with Dr. Juli La Roca, who has also been on the show, who's in Tribe for Leaders. If you haven't talked to her, she's incredible. Wow. I, I met her and got her introduced to the group. She's just very incredible soul. But anyways, like she helped me realize that like, one of the things I said about the sexual trauma experience is like, it felt so wrong. And I, and one mm-hmm. of the things that I developed is a natural adaptation to feeling wrong is I constantly searched for feedback and like that. Mm-hmm. So like that seed of feeling wrong paired with me constantly searching for feedback. Like that's why I was able to kind of network with people at higher levels is because I was always looking at getting better and improving. And I wouldn't be the person I was today if I hadn't had that experience. And it yeah. was one of the most powerful things that happened to me, but it's like, again, it goes very back to the very beginning, what we were talking about. It's all about how you rewrite that story. And yes. it's just, yeah. So I, I love your, your worldview there. Um, man, there's, I'm sure maybe we'll have to have a follow-up because there's so many interesting things we can talk to and just not enough time. I just but love one... having
1: interesting conversations with interesting people. It's so much fun. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, one thing that we talked about and I was like, stop talking because we need to make sure that this is recorded before, before we dive into this. And I wanted to make sure I dive, dove into this. So um, you talked about how you are looking at traveling with your family and doing seven continents in two years. So mm-hmm. can you tell us how many kids you have and how the heck that could even be possible with the business that you run and the lifestyle that you have?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. H- how is it possible? Well, anything is possible, right? <laughs> so so I have four kids. The oldest is, is my stepson, Nathan. He's now out of the house, out of high school, has his job. So we've kind of been waiting for that. Um, and then our youngest three that Michael and I have had together are currently four, six, and eight. They'll be five, seven, and nine this summer when we head out. Um, and we've kind of been waiting for Bradley to be able to read and have some cognizant memories of the experience. Yeah, that's
0: good. Um, so,
1: so that's kind of what we've been waiting for. And and COVID, it'll be interesting to see how COVID affects all this. The plan is still to go, right? Just to go to whatever country is allowing Americans in at the time. So the plan is to go south. The only thing we have booked currently is on our Antarctica cruise. So next New Year's Eve, we'll be <laughs> on a boat to the to the seventh continent. Um, but between here and there, the plan is just to kind of country hop and use the experience to teach them about culture and about history and about language and, um, and then keep going so that we're back wherever we end up <laughs> before Cora goes into sixth grade. Cause I think middle school, you kind of want some roots. Um, sure. but yeah, in terms of how it's possible, that's, it was a decision that we made two, two and a half years ago. We kind of just mm. said, we're going, Uh, We knew we wanted Nathan to be out of high school. We wanted Bradley to be five. And then we just sort of picked our date. And then I've been working, everything else has been working towards it. So uh, Michael is starting a hedge fund. I'm trying to get my business running itself. We restructured the business model so it doesn't require me to as much. There's a lot more that I can delegate and duplicate um, and hire people around and, and at the end of the day, if I still have to make sure I have Wi-Fi once a week or once a month to check in, we'll do that. I mean, the beautiful thing about traveling in 2021 is that there's internet almost everywhere. Thanks. Right. Thanks to Google and Facebook. Um, so yeah, we'll have plenty of internet access. Uh, some of it will be good. Some of it won't. But really, it's just making the decision and saying, this is what I want and, and painting the picture clearly enough in your own mind that you can start reverse engineering a plan to make that happen. Um, and then, yeah, we're writing some fiction books around it. So, we're reading like kids' mystery novels, teaching them about geography and location. And so, we'll be launching the Donor Detective Agency brand and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, I can't not monetize everything I do in my life. Oh my God. <laughs> so, there will absolutely be a business model around it. But I think really <laughs> just trying to practice presence, right? I'm not great at it. My kids will tell you I probably spend more time in this office than they would like me to. Um, but just recognizing that I only have them for a few very short years before they're heading out. And so this is one way that I'm I'm kind of putting a discipline on myself. Like if I'm here, it's just life, right? But if I'm traveling, then I don't want to miss anything. So my hope is that if doing this presence practicing for two years that when I come back, I'll be able to maintain that habit uh, and I'll have broken this kind of workaholism that I've inherited from myself. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a forcing function. Like it's something that's happening. You can't change it. And like you've committed to it and you've planned for it for two years. And like I am just gonna straight up tell you, like, you're my role model for this because I've been I've been to 23 countries with my my uh, wife. We traveled for an entire full year, uh immediate the year after we graduated. So we've been all over, you know, COVID hit, we came back and and all that crazy stuff. But like I've been just starting to think about like when we're gonna have our first kid and like what I want life to be like, and like, you know, Lee and I do want to travel when we have a family. And so how are you thinking? about This is just because I'm just curious about this. Like, are you putting your kids through some kind of formal curriculum? Or are you going to teach them through the experiences that you're giving them in life? Because it's like, I guess I'll just leave it at that. So like, is there a formal curriculum or are you just planning on leveraging the cultural experiences and the, the activities you're providing them as, as the learnings?
1: I kind of go back and forth. Like on sometimes I'm like, eh, we'll just kind of see what nature gives us. Um, but that's not usually my style. I tend to overstructure. So the real plan, we'll see if it actually happens is I'm and I'll just maybe put this out in the universe. If anybody knows anybody, I want to find a husband and wife couple that can come with us, a cinematographer ah. who can do our videos and an educator who can tutor the kids.
0: That is so badass.
1: <laughs> um, so so that's kind of what I put out there. I, I was like thinking this morning, like I really should get job descriptions out there. We're only giving them five months heads up at this point. Um, But yes, I would love to bring another couple because I do want to document everything we're doing. And I do recognize that I'm great at creating curriculum. Like my undergrad was like Homer to Nietzsche, like all the great literature. So I tend to over educate my kids um, uh, if I'm not careful. So having somebody who I can bounce ideas off of, but I don't have to sit down with them and have the patience to like explain every little nuance. And I'm not great with younger kids. Like, (laughs) I tried seventh grade and I was like, all right, Nathan, we're gonna start with Epic of Gilgamesh and go through Plato's Republic and then <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Right. And he still kind of like laughs and thinks it's ridiculous. But I think he's secretly proud, right? <laughs>
0: sure.
1: So so we'll see. Tell so that story to yourself. <laughs> right. So if I can create a curriculum around each location that we visit where we study their ancient history and their modern. Uh, and we learn the language and we practice cooking and dancing and music and art. Um, I think science and math are my weak points. So I want to make sure that I have a formal curriculum for those pieces. But uh, the humanities, I think, will be pretty simple for us.
0: Got it. It's so fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's so so cool. That, like, I, and again, like I'm I'm just grateful that you're gonna pave the path for me because like I, it's just crazy too because it's like what your kids will, in my opinion, what your kids will learn on that voyage, on that experience, is unparalleled. There's no better education than a global education and seeing have, how different, different cultures live life. Like just because we've lived, or I was born in the United States of America and I've lived here my entire year. It's just like, you go to a different culture and you're immersed and it. it's just like, wow, this is like everything I thought about reality is not reality. It's just yeah. not just because and like, I don't know you see- where you
1: come down on like extinction level events, but there's a good chance that my grandkids won't get to see fish in an open air market under a sun. Like, so it's just, it's interesting. I'm like, if our kids have to head off to Mars, because that's my my middle son wants to be an astronaut. Um, I'm like, you know what? If you're gonna go live on Mars permanently, I want you to have experienced Earth first. Like sure. Be a little glossary of what Earth was uh when you go. So yeah, it'll be just interesting. I think we're in for a very interesting 50 to hundred years.
0: Yeah. Man, I just, I I, thinking just seeing how you're thinking about it is just challenged me to think about how I could think about it as well. Just because I was saying to Leah just the other day, it's just like our education system number one, it's had to have it It by nature of COVID it's had to have moved more virtual. So yeah. like people are already thinking that way. And we already knew for years that our system, our educational system is very antiquated yeah. um, and, and that there needs to be change. So it's like, I don't know, maybe when, when Lee and I want to travel with a family, it'll be a totally different environment that's adapted to this kind of situation, but you're kind of paving the path for a, a frontier that hasn't really been experienced yet. <laughs>
1: there are some really cool education uh thing platforms on the horizon. I'm really excited to see how they play out. But I think this like experiential hands-on, like when we come back, that's what we want to do. We want to facilitate like two week scavenger hunts for whole families to come together and do stuff together in these different places around the world. So that's one that's of those incredible. long-term visions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you happen to know Gordy Ball by chance? Mm-mm. Okay. I'll have to make an introduction between the two of you because he, he has a company called conscious thought revolution and he has some really crazy thoughts or really cool thoughts about, uh, education and kids and that kind of stuff. So I'll just make a note. Very to, cool. Yeah. You're I love inter- that. Interested in, in that. Um, Wow. Okay. So we've jumped all over the place. And I I I know we kind of went back and forth between the the relationships and the sales and that kind of stuff. Um, one thing that you had mentioned that I thought I, I made a little note here is like you had said how sales really is love to you and and it really is um and for people that are listening right now that maybe like ah, sales is love, like what is that what does that mean to you? And like how did you come to that conclusion?
1: Yeah, this was what changed everything. Like nine years ago, ten years ago, whenever I started my business. I hated sales. I couldn't pick up a phone call. Like I just thought sales was evil and icky and sleazy. And, um, and it was really the mindset shift. I had to believe like sales is an act of love and service, right? So when you get on a phone call and you're going to close somebody, if you're good, you might have a three in 10 chance of closing them right? Um, and that means that you lose 70% of right. the time, which for somebody who likes to win is not a comfortable ratio. Right. So I was like, well, how can we re- restructure this? So if you get on the phone call and your objective is to love and serve the person on the other end of the phone, it puts the ball completely in your own court. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that they can do to keep you from loving them and serving them. So you are guaranteed to want win 100% of the time. And loving and serving them sometimes Looks like letting them go and saying, this isn't the right service for you, but let me refer you to somebody who can help you. And sometimes it's fighting for them. So the other thing that I typically say about sales is sales is about fighting your own internal demons first. You have to wrestle with your own demons first, and then you get to wrestle everybody else's demons for a living. Um, And so sales is where you have to come up against. You were talking about entrepreneurship being a sole boot camp. Sales is a very heightened experience of that because you're coming up against your own limiting beliefs on every single sales conversation. Like, you know what you believe because you see what you buy into. So if somebody says they don't have enough time, they don't have enough money, they don't, they have to talk to a spouse or a decision maker, you know that you buy into that because you let them buy into that. Right? So when you're on this sales conversation, if you really believe that this is what's going to change their life, you have a moral obligation to take a stand for them not to push them into a closed deal because you want a commissions check, but to stand for them against their own demons and say, this is possible for you. Like, Mm. I believe in you, you can do this. And when you can get that rooted in your love and service of the other, you become unstoppable.
0: So you said something that I want to clarify, because this is, if I'm interpreting this correctly, this is something I've never come across before, but Am I correct in understanding from something that you said that if you're getting certain objections in a sales call that it's reflecting upon how what your internal problems are. So like basically if you're seeing certain objections come up it's because you haven't communicated effectively and you may have those limiting beliefs yourself. Is that correct? Is that what you meant? Yeah.
1: It's a really effective mirror. It's not 100% hmm. but typically if somebody's telling you that they can't afford it and you buy into it and you say, "Oh, okay," and you let them off the hook. Usually, if you do the inner work, there's some belief that you think money is a finite resource and some people have it and some people don't, as Mm -hmm. opposed to believing that money is an infinite resource and just an exchange of value and a metaphor for energy, right? In which case it's infinite and cannot be destroyed and cannot be created. And it's just a metaphor for value. And you say, ah, clearly I did not articulate the value adequately because that's all somebody means when they say they can't afford it. Right, so if I needed a fifty thousand dollars kidney transplant for my daughter tomorrow, there is no force on this planet that would keep me from coming up with fifty thousand dollars in twenty four hours. Right. Right. So it's just a matter of desirability, and so you have to get past your own limiting beliefs about money, about time, about what is or is not possible for yourself, and then you can fight for your prospect uh, on the call with him.
0: Yeah, I love that the imagery of just understanding that it's a mirror and that the more that you, like, I think that's just a a incredible thing to be aware of right, right here. And now it's like, if you're maybe, maybe somebody's not in a sales call, but there are opportunities in every conversation to realize what your unconscious biases are. And like, if you're, if you're aware of that, you can kind of see where you're reflecting. And that's why, you know, Caitlin and I are part of uh, this, this group called tribe for leaders. And it's like an incredible experience when you have the opportunity and the mindset of like, okay, where are my blind spots? Where am I not seeing things? And you allow separate conversations with people to kind of, see, uh, and, and test you if you should be looking deeper into that. And it's like, that's another thing they talked about in, in, uh, the untethered soul. There's something called a samskara in, in yoga meditation. And I might completely butcher butcher this. So if somebody's listening, they're like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, Brandon. I'm just going to attempt, I'm going to attempt it anyways. Um, but it, it's, it, it's basically like a samskara is, from my understanding, it is like a built up conditioned response based on previous experiences that you've had in your life. So if somebody says something and it pisses you off, it's because it triggered something inside AKA your samskara. And it's like, Hey, if this pissed me off, this is something to look more into. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, I just think that was a really cool thing that you had mentioned about leveraging objections to really go deeper and understand who you are as a person and as a salesperson.
1: Yeah. When you can get to that level of awareness where you say, Hey, this was a triggering moment and you can say, ah, how exciting, right? Yeah, I'm I found so something curious about what that just brought up for me. Like, it's amazing. So just as an example, I know we're going super long, but like we were at Thanksgiving dinner a couple of years back um, and I had made the stuffing and it was in the oven and my little sister pulls it out of the oven, realizes it hot and just crashes it on the floor. And like the casserole dish is everywhere And my mom starts yelling at me. And it was like such a hilarious moment where I was like, oh, see, like Caitlin, in a future self, this would have pissed you off and you would have felt like a victim. And how dare your mom pick on you when it was clearly Amanda's fault? And that was just like I had so like unplugged it from having an uh, emotional charge that I was able to just sit there and go like, that's really funny, mom. (laughs) There was no like friction emotional friction yeah. no heat that was generated from that experience and that's like I think that's kind of the point is we're trying to figure yes. out how do we start like detaching from the emotional friction in a place that we can appreciate everything that happens to us from somebody cutting us off or breaking a contract or right um divorcing us heaven forbid right but when we can look at each of these instances as going like hmm this is just a beautiful opportunity for me to gain deeper self-awareness and uh, love the world in a different way than I have been loving it previously, then it really, it frees everything up to be a gift to you.
0: Yes. Yeah. So there's some homework for some people listening. Like next time you get triggered, turn inside and (laughs) ask yourself, why, why did that trigger you? Because like, there's a chance that you can probably just let it go. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like, I've I've had some texting conversations with someone recently that have been triggering me massively. It's just like, okay, I need to, I need to do some journaling here. Like I, I need yeah. to figure out what, why the hell this is happening and figure out what, you know, what part of my ego, because usually it usually has to do with ego is, is being impacted uh, by this stupid little thing here. But anyway,
1: not, not addressing it, right. If boundaries need to be honored and we need to articulate how you do and don't want to be treated by somebody. Yeah. Yes, that's awesome. But do it after you've done the emotional processing, right? Yes. Like after you've come to a place of love and gratitude and joy and peace and yeah faith yes. and you're like okay I just wanted to mention like when you said this this was the reaction that I had and in the future this is how I would prefer that you treat me and like this is you know this is what I'm trying to teach kids at very difficult levels but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah but yeah it's really beautiful when you can live it out and I'm not saying I do that all the time but that's the goal
0: <laughs> yeah respond don't react and, that, and yeah. it's like that that's thing that's really powerful too is like yeah I, I appreciate you adding that because it's like yeah, I'll, you you can allow it to piss yourself off. Just like don't just put it. I think Hal Elrod. I learned this from Hal Elrod. And he has this rule. If you have it, uh if you're listening to this, you don't know how he was the guy that wrote The Miracle Morning and he had mm-hmm. this crazy uh car crash where he like I think he flatlined, I think he died. Uh but then he came back. But like he has this and then he and then he recovered from it, did a whole bunch of incredible things, and then he found out he got cancer. And he has this rule called the five-minute rule where he 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 has a shitty experience, he takes a deep breath. And he sets a timer for five minutes and he allows himself to feel, be pissed off at the world and, you know, just whatever emotions are going on for five minutes. But he, but once the, once the timer goes off, he goes into problem solving mode. I was like, okay, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to get over this? And how can I overcome this? And like, I haven't used that rule, but when he said that, I was like, oh, that's really powerful. So that's maybe another thing that people can do.
1: Yeah. I'll tell that to my husband. I'm like, I need to be pissed for just a little bit longer. (laughs) Like, I know you want to coach me out of this. But give me a few minutes to still be angry. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh, man. That's awesome. Well, Caitlin, this has been a blast. I I really enjoyed this conversation. We've we've explored so many different areas. So um, I guess uh, a few last-minute questions as we kind of conclude here. If people could kind of only take away one key thing from this, um, and if you could kind of put what we're talking about on a bumper sticker, what would you want them to make sure they took away?
1: As you hear the screaming in the background. (laughs) (laughs) um uh so yeah uh everything is always working out for you like if you can just trust that put it on bumper sticker write it on your mirror tattoo it on your arm like everything is always working out um everything is is always gonna work out it's just kind of the nature of the universe
0: yeah. I had, I was on a podcast inter, inter, I was an interviewee this morning and somebody asked me this question. So it's just kind of on my mind. So I'll ask it to you. And I'm curious to see if your, uh, response kind of parallels what I came up with, but like, if you could go back 10 years, uh, maybe even to that moment of Caitlin be over the kitchen sink, or maybe even before that, when you were kind of just starting things, is there any advice that you would give to yourself if you could time travel? It's
1: really interesting. Because I do believe that everything happened to me for a reason. Like, so changing something, it's hard. I think what I would tell you, like tell my younger self is like, trust the process. Like, <laughs> you're going to get frustrated. You're going to be impatient. You have a neurotic impulse to always make things better. Don't get trapped into like the the suckiness of the emotional, like part of your neuroses. But like embrace that you have a gift for refinement as Brandon Fong will tell you. And when you're (laughs) 35, right. Um, but just (laughs) being able to like, trust the process of, uh, and like that there are going to be things that you prefer and things that you don't prefer, but if you can accept that both of them are making you who you need to become, like it's worth the journey.
0: Wow. That's, it, I, it's funny that I asked you that question. Cause that was the exact response that I gave myself I, on this interview this morning. I'm like, <laughs> I, I wouldn't tell myself anything. I'd be like, what? you're going to, you're going to deal with some shit and it's going to be fine. And like, you're going to have these experiences. And it's going to be great. So like you're doing mm-hmm. fantastic and just trust that it's going to turn out. And mm-hmm. it, it's funny. There was this exercise. Um, I think it was Tim Ferriss or something like that. Um, but I, I found that the answers I would give myself, either my future self or my past self are the same. You know, it's like, so the, the, the alternative of this question, I, maybe I could just ask it to you, Caitlin. So mm-hmm. if 50, 60 year old Caitlin came back and gave you advice now, what advice would they give you?
1: Oh, she'd probably be play more, like have Whatever. a hell of a lot more fun, right? That's yeah. probably what she would say. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: awesome.
1: yeah. But I also do think that and again, weird worldview alert, like, I think that our future selves and our past selves and our alternate universe selves, like higher self, however you want to think about this, but I do think we are ministering to ourselves. Like there's a very strong chance that either an angel or my future self did save me when I was 15 years old and trying to commit suicide. So mm. I think that there's like, there is this communication between the selves, um, that, that I think it's worth kind of consciously realizing that there's a new self in every single moment um, and that you get to kind of be in communion with all of them.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. That's some like Inception movie. Yes. Right some <laughs> some butterfly effect. You rapping. haven't seen
1: the movie Tenet, you have to, because it'll fuck with your brain. And it's awesome.
0: What, st- it? what is it? Tenant.
1: Uh The new uh, Christopher Nolan movie, I think is his name. How do you um, spell it? T-E-N-E-T. Tenant. Okay. I went to Arizona for a vacation and they still have movie theaters open, which was amazing. Nice. <laughs> so, so we went to see that one and it's, um, it's yeah. It's just like all the other Christopher Nolan movies. It's fantastic. Cool.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Caitlin, I, I asked you all the wrap up questions. The only final thing is where can people find out more about what you got going on and uh, learn more about this other your incredible word, world views and follow your experience with your children across <laughs> the world. We're
1: working on a website called domner.com, <laughs> but it's not there yet. But that's going to be kind of the umbrella for all of the crazy projects that we're going okay. to have coming on. Um, so when we do get our books and our YouTube channel and stuff, we'll probably put it there. Um, but you can just find me on Facebook, Caitlin Kogan Domner, friend me and send me a message. And then our business is bookofexperts.com. If you are an entrepreneur who wants more visibility and referrals, we would love for you to come. You can set up a free account with us um, and just be listed in our directory. So bookofexperts.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin. This has been a blast. I really appreciated laughing with you and learning from you over the past hours. And I look forward to connecting in the near future.
1: Thanks so much, Brandon. It's been awesome.
0: Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now, and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week